lots of enjoyment. Amen. Amen. Bless you, man. Great. Can you hear me? Everyone hear me? Great. Well, hello, hello everyone. Um, it's really nice. It seems like we've got a lot of visitors here this morning. So welcome to all of you, especially if you're new. Um, so earlier this week, uh, I was sitting at my desk. Um, I'm a designer, so when in my design studio, and there's about 11 of my colleagues, and without saying a word, someone put some music on the, the studio speaker system. Um, and so we're sitting there together, you know, kind of at our desks, just getting on with our work quietly, ignoring each other, but this music's going on, and these words are coming through the speakers. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness. And it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody I will tell to the whole world is healed. King of kings, Lord of lords. All the things he has in store from the rich to the poor. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus, save me now I'm sane. <laughs> and so, of course, these are the words of Kanye West lyrics. Um, someone whose lyrics in, in the past in the studio I would rather have silenced. Um, and it just made me think one impact it makes when we change how we see ourselves. For this man, it was the change from um, self-made God to God-made servant. And just that change in his life is already blessing so many people. Now, in, in this church, we often speak about what God thinks of us. But today we're talking about how we think of ourselves. What are the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are? Do they help or hinder us? Do they bring about heaven or hell? So another thing that came up this week was uh, I found out that a film, an animated film that I love called The Prince of Egypt, is coming out as a stage show. <laughs> so I thought that really excited me. Um, but I've, I've enjoyed this. May maybe, hopefully, some of you have seen it. If you haven't seen this film, I'd highly recommend it. It's brilliant. If you saw it years ago, watch it again. It's well worth it. And it basically, The Prince of Egypt uh, tells the story of Moses' life. And I, I remember this one song in particular that happened in this film um, where... Basically, if you hopefully you know a little bit about Moses' life, um, Moses is uh, he's running away from his past. He's kind of full of shame um, and, and guilt, and he's kind of left his life in the palaces that he's used to, and he's found himself out in the wilderness. Um, and he's been sort of taken in by this uh, poor, uh, lovely, welcoming little community where they're accept accepting him. And in this scene, in this moment, um, let me just see what we got here. Is this going to go? Yeah, if you could just move it on for me, that would be great. Um, basically, in this scene, um, Moses says something, oh, says something disparaging about himself. He says something like, oh, I'm nothing. And that's when like, the leader of this group comes in and blesses him with this song. And uh, it's like, I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll spare that. I'll spare you that. Um, oh, that's not it. We can ignore that. Yeah. Um, so this is it. <laughs> so this is Moses down here. You can see he's resistant. 
And uh, so this is the guy who sings in the song. And these are the lyrics. It says, a single thread in a tapestry, though its color brightly shines, can never see its purpose in the pattern of the grand designs. And the stone that sits at the very top of the mountain's mighty face, does it think it's more important than the stones that form the base? So how can you see what your life is worth? Or whatever, or where your value lies. You can never see through the eyes of man. You must look at your life. You must look at your life through heaven's eyes. It's a great song. I have to hold myself back from <laughs> singing it to you. Um, and so the story of Moses is, I'm not going to sing it, not today. Uh, the story of Moses is one example of many in the Bible uh, which follow a similar pattern. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's this pattern where um, you've got an ordinary person who is sort of surprised out of the blue by this call or a visit or a, a message from God out of nowhere, and they're completely surprised by it. And this message brings a new word into their life which gradually releases them from the labels and restrictions they put on themselves uh, and their sense of inadequacy so that they find themselves being used as a key part of God's bigger plan. This also happened to a guy called Gideon. And you've probably heard, some of you will have heard the story of Gideon. Gideon, um, his story starts where he's cowering away, hiding away in a wine press from his enemies. And this apparently is the perfect time for the angel of the Lord to show up to Gideon. He's, he's kind of hiding away in fear uh, from his enemies. And what does the angel of the Lord say to Gideon? Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And what does Gideon say? Gideon replies, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my whole family. And so Gideon's story is about him being released from these labels that he's put on himself. And so the barrier between Gideon and God's plans for his life to transform him and his whole people are actually just the labels that Gideon has put on himself. So it's important to notice here, even though the labels that Gideon has put on himself are somewhat rational, the way he thought of himself was limiting him. So... This morning, I want to say some ways of seeing ourselves are better than others. Some of them fill us with life and meaning, while some of them play into our weaknesses. And they, they might serve other people rather than ourselves. They might serve others who don't love us. For some of us, how we see ourselves is not working. It's left us bound up and restricted and maybe... Maybe for some of us, we're, we're left feeling stuck in self-hatred or paralyzing self-criticism. It's not working, and so we need a metanoia, which is a change of your mind, complete change of consciousness. We just need to see things in a completely different way. So metanoia is the Greek word for repent. That's what it means to repent. We need... A metanoia. 
And I think for some of us today, taking up our cross means being reconciled to the enemy that we've made of ourselves. And my good news for you today is really simple. It's just that God doesn't require you to beat yourself up. God doesn't require you to suffer any of this stuff you're putting yourself through. It's, it's that simple. You, it, it's not necessary. But I do understand. I know it, it's almost like humans were at our most creative when coming up with reasons to justify why we can continue hating ourselves. <laughs> It's like we have this, there's no end to the list of excuses that the mind can invent for justifying uh, not accepting ourselves yet or not enjoying or blessing ourselves. It, just does, it, it will never end, this list of excuses. So I know, I know that it's tricky. I know that we have this propensity to do this, but I'm not speaking to you today as Tom Morris. I want to speak to you today as the angel of the Lord who is saying, I love you too much to let you get away with nonsense. <laughs> I love you too much to let you get away with nonsense. Are you hearing that? So let's stop it today. Haven't you had enough of your own self-criticism? Just non-stop. Thank you. Good to hear it. So the truth is, when we beat ourselves up and hold on to shame and comparison and guilt... It's not humble, it's not helpful, it's not godly, it's not creative, it's not unique or special, and it's not spiritual. Sometimes we kid ourselves, well, I say we kid ourselves, I've definitely been here. We, we somehow get into this idea that we're all this h- sort of hard work that we're doing in our minds of criticizing ourselves um, is somehow noble. It's like a noble, good work where, where, where you know, we're getting through it. We're keeping ourselves disciplined by criticizing ourselves. But this kind of hard work that we suffer through is actually a complete waste of our God-given time and energy. And it dishonors the plans that God has for our lives. It's not a noble work. And no one is going to congratulate us when we get to the end of our lives for being so hard on ourselves. God is not and will not be impressed or blessed by you being hard on yourself. And no one is going to say to you, well done, my child. You were so brutally honest with yourself that when you looked in the mirror and you saw that certain angle, you noticed that you looked unattractive from sort of this angle here. (laughs) And they will not say either, well done for waiting for everyone else to love you first before you love yourself. Now, maybe at this point, some of you in your creativity might be coming up with excuses for why this doesn't apply to you. (laughs) Maybe some of your excuses are are about, oh, it's all very good for him. He's got such and such. And you'll be inventing ways about how I'm superior and different to you. But even this is nonsense. There is no material blessing or curse that disqualifies a person from the need to practice self-love by imitating God's love. I would go so far as to say that in our journey to become like Jesus, it's impossible to go on this journey without 
loving ourselves. Jesus commands us, love our neighbor as ourself. How can you do the first bit if you don't know how to do the second? I really think there are no good reasons to continue holding on to these harsh ways that we see ourselves. We really do hold on to them. We get attached to them, don't we? So today I'm asking you, what labels do you need to let go of today? And are you ready to align your thoughts with those that God has for you? It feels radical to say it, but the way God treats us is how we are to treat ourselves. I don't know why it sounds radical to say that, but it's true. Jesus wants us to become like him as disciples. And as disciples, we're being taught how to see the world. We're being given a different lens. And that includes how we see ourselves. We're we're following him, his way of doing things. But what we're doing often is appointing ourselves as judge above him. So maybe it's time to let him be judge of us. Jesus is very affirming of us in the things he said, isn't he? He says things like, you are the light of the world. Maybe it's time you allow Jesus to be right about you. So he says, you are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Don't cover it with a bowl. And in this, he's blessing something innate within you and calling it out, but also recognizing that you have the choice to cover it up. You have the choice to release it. We, we all know this phrase, don't we? You are the light of the world. But we often, I, d- I don't know if many of us notice that he also says to his disciples, are you still so dull? Are you still so dull? It's like I can hear his sort of humorous exasperation. He's been teaching them for all this time and then he's saying things like, you are the light of the world and they get wrapped up in all this stuff that doesn't matter. And he says, are you still so dull? <laughs> He's still covering up. So it's all well and good knowing that maybe we need to change our story, change the way we see ourselves. But um, what can we change to? What, what, how, do, how can I give you? That's what I want to do. I want to give you a better story. And um, I've heard it some, this story is sometimes called something like original blessing. And... So in order to tell you about this story, I first want to talk about original sin. You've probably heard this phrase before, original sin. Oh, it's gloomy, isn't it? Um, Now, it's not a phrase. This is going to be a bit theological for a moment here. Please hang with me. It's not actually a phrase found anywhere in the Bible, but it's an idea that comes from St. Augustine, around 400 AD, and uh, then it was later formalized into church doctrine. Um, in more recent times. And essentially, what this idea is trying to capture is this idea that we are all sinners. We all fall short, and we're kind of sinners from birth, is the idea. 
And it's trying to capture that humanity is deeply in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And it takes very seriously that we are capable of destruction and evil and violation and violence. And as an idea, it, it's, it has its uses. It means we're not so surprised when we find ourselves uh, falling into our inherent weaknesses. But what I want to say to you this morning is, as a starting point for our cosmic story of how we understand our place in the world, it's disastrous, and frankly, it's quite toxic. It, if we start, it, I think what happens with original sin, when we get focused on it, and we, we sometimes start our story at the fall. So what it means is, we can sometimes end up starting our story in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve take that bite from the fruit and everything goes wrong and, and death comes into the world and all this awful stuff happens. But if we, if we start our story there at Genesis 3, in this story, it's like we've just been made wrong. And to me, it makes, I think it can make us feel like we're, we're chess pieces in a rigged game. It's like God is asking us to be something that we're not. And then when we can't perform, he gets angry with us. And for me, it, it would make me ask questions like, why didn't God just make me better? And why am I such a burden to God? And I think w with this kind of story, we can get attached to our guilt and wrapped up in it. And we can find that even when we receive God's forgiveness, we're still putting ourselves in this, in this role of like sin managers of our own lives. And we're always wary of ourselves, distrusting ourselves. And in this story, repentance can end up becoming a lot like, God, I'm going to try harder not to displease you. And then maybe I'll be worthy of love. But the good news is that is not where the story starts. The story starts with blessing. The story starts in Genesis 1 where God creates the universe. Out of his own pleasure and full delight, he blesses each thing he makes, saying, and this is good. And he makes the animals, and he saw them, and he said, this is good. And then it gets better and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it gets to the hu humans. He, he creates us, and then he says, and this is very good. And so it's, it's this story full of blessing, and he blesses each thing with the potential to create more and create further blessing. So our story, this story, starts with it's good, to be human. We each bear the image of God in us. So starting the story in Genesis 1 means that we're grounded in God's love and blessed with an essential goodness. That's how God's made us. That is our original design. We've been set on a path which we begin our lives on. And we're, we started somewhere good and we're headed somewhere good. But then Chet comes into the picture. I'm almost entirely sure I'm 
pronouncing that wrong, but chet, or C-H-E-T, is a Hebrew word for sin. And sin, this word, means to go astray. So it means to come off the path. So in this story, we're set on the path, but we go astray. And we find ourselves out in the weeds, out in the woods, after wandering, going, what am I doing? This is not good. This is not fulfilling. This is not beautiful. This is not God's plan for me. This is actually destructive and harmful and ugly. I need to return to the path. And so this is where the good Hebrew person in the story would say, Teshuvah. Can you say that? Teshuvah. They would say, Teshuva, this is not me. I've wandered off the path. I need to return to God's plan for me. Teshuva means return to the path. And here's the surprise. Teshuva is translated in English as repentance. Repentance in, in Jewish thought is, to, is not just to turn, but to return. Return to the right path we've been set on. So the path of God's blessings and fullness and life and how we were made to be, that's what we're returning to. So repentance in this story means returning to who you really are, how you're really made, rather than trying harder to be something that you've never been and something that you're really deep down you're not. So this story of original blessing doesn't just call us to take our potential for evil seriously when we wander off the path, but it also takes seriously our potential for greatness. And for some of us, that's what we need. We need to find that rooted start, rooted in God's blessing, that takes seriously our potential for greatness. So may you be blessed by living inside this story instead of the one you have. And may you too be blessed to take seriously your greatness, your potential for greatness. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to actually break into groups and I've got some questions that we can use to respond to what I've just thrown at you. Um, and just to discuss, how, how, how are these things working in you? Um, but also, there's another thing we're going to do. Uh, me and Tony have got some, uh, just some anointing oil. And we want to invite you whenever you want, whenever you're ready, from here on, if you'd like to come up and we'll anoint you with oil on your head, just a very simple sign. And we're inviting you to do this as a sign that you're, you're ready to, to shuva, <laughs> to change the way you've been thinking about yourself and to receive all that blessing that comes from God. 
and I'll, I'll just stay up here because I'm not going to be in a group. So you can come up whenever you want, in, in the middle of your groups, whatever. But uh, for now, um, these are the kind of the questions we've got for you. So if you could break into groups of, how many do we usually do, Joe? Four or five, okay. Uh, and then just chat amongst yourselves about, chat through these, these questions. Thank you. <laughs>